Hello, welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Allie. I'm Ginny. And today, I don't know why I emphasized Angel like that. I just did. Um, it happens. <laughs> we are talking about um, Showtime and Soulless. So, yes. couple interesting episodes, but uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> one interesting episode. Uh, <laughs> yes. How are you doing, Jenny? <laughs> um, I'm fine. I got a lot to do. I don't know. Yeah. It's like not to make this about the weather, but it's the first like actually it's proper cold always weekend. Always about the weather. <laughs> well, I just mean that like what we no, were I like, mean, like that's just what we talk about. It's fine. I know. We just like had before we started recording, like we ate like bagels and watched Terrace House and it was just like really cozy and I was knitting and I was like I could literally do this all day and I'm like annoyed because I have like other chores to do so I can't just do that all day. I don't know. I like brought work home with me. I really don't want to do it and I really really should. So, you know, what do you do? Yeah. I vote in favor of you not doing it, unless it's going to make, like, next week really bad. But it, I mean, it would make the week a lot better to have it done. I think I'll just set a time limit and be like, I can do this for one or two hours and then just give up. That sounds like a good approach. I don't know. I'm, like, generally in favor of, like, not bringing work home. I know some people, like, don't have a choice, but I don't know. Like, my coworker the other day, like, we were in Slack and like some, she was like questioning somebody about something and she was like, okay, well, I'll check it tomorrow. And I was like, tomorrow is Saturday. Why are you checking this? Yeah. <laughs> like, nobody can do anything. It's the weekend. <laughs> I've been better about it. It just sucks because kind of my role in is to keep people on schedule and on task. And so it's, I get behind because I have too much to do, but it's like, oh, if I get behind, I'm the one that holds up a schedule. I feel like it's a really bad look. I mean, it's bad for anybody to miss a deadline, but it just feels like it's worse when I do. So I'm trying not, I try not to be that person, but then sometimes it's like, well, the only way to do that is to work more hours. What normally I just don't do it though. Normally I just figure it out, work harder during the day or something. So we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. You know, they, I was reading another spate of articles about like how we need like a four day work week or like four hour work day or like something. I was like, all of this sounds way better. Like, I agree. I just feel like I would be the most productive person if I knew I only had like a limited amount of time. But yeah, I mean, exactly. You wouldn't waste time all the time. Yeah. But if I have to sit there for like eight hours, like the prospect of having to be there for eight hours, like makes me not want to do anything. Yeah. (laughs) No, I would totally do. I would work harder if I had to. I mean, I work fine, but... Self-defeating, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so counterintuitive, though, and, like, it's just so ingrained, but... I always think about that episode of The Office where <laughs> where Michael makes everybody watch Varsity Blues every Friday, <laughs> and then, or maybe it's on Monday, but, like, Jan comes, and she's like, he's like, no, 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 it makes everyone more productive, and she's like, how would that work? And he's like, well, they have to, because they spent all this time watching a movie, and I was like, honestly, he's not wrong. <laughs> he's not wrong. They just don't have to be at The Office making, yeah, like, watching like, movie Mondays or whatever. Like, right, right. It is a yeah. Monday, yeah. They could just be like, well, they have to because they have to finish it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) anyway, so that's the stage of my life. I'm at taking uh, work advice from Michael Scott, (laughs) known work expert. (laughs) I mean, also, I've been watching a lot of The Office. He somehow managed to keep that job for a long time. So maybe that's not the worst thing. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, should we get into it? Yes. Um, I didn't ask you how you were. Sorry. 
That's okay. Yeah, I, feel I, like a jerk. I haven't really had an exciting weekend. Well, I did. I did um, finally get a haircut for the first time in two years. Ooh, almost. That's fun. Not quite two years. Um, it, in January would have been two years. Okay. And I went in and I was like, I was like, okay, it's gotten to the point where I'm like, I need to go. And then I was like, mm-hmm. so embarrassed to like show my face. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, it's been so long. And like, sure enough, like my colorist, like I got there and she was like, oh my God, am I the last person to color your hair? And I was like, yep. Yes. <laughs> She's like, it doesn't look that bad. I was like, I know. <laughs> I was like, you should be proud because I continue to get compliments two years later. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, she, like, I, I went like, I'm like full blonde again. Okay. But not like, it's just, well, I mean, nobody can see this. I don't know why I'm bothering to describe it, but like, yeah, I just like was like, I kind of like what happened. Like, cause when it was like growing out, I was like, but make it like intentional. Right. <laughs> right. Right. She didn't really do like, it still is going to have to do some growing out, but maybe that was the point. Cause I think she also was like, see you in a year. You need to, yeah. If you need to make it last. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, like, I don't know. Like, I was, like, talking to the guy who was cutting my hair, and he was like, it's okay. I don't judge you. And, I, like, you just, like, get your hair cut whenever you want. I was like, yeah, I don't know why I'm apologizing to you. Yeah, exactly. But I was just like, it's probably the longest I've ever been in my life without getting a haircut. So, mm. I mean, my hair was really long. And I was like, can we keep it long? I like it long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was it was great that I went. But I was there for, like, three hours, so. yeah. It's just like a whole thing. I mean, that's kind of why you don't do it, right? Like, it's like, it's expensive. Because it's expensive it and it takes a long, long time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, if you can I was get like, away yeah, with see it. you in a year. <laughs> I guess so. I'm saving it up to get mine cut. I'll probably wait until closer to the wedding. I am trying to let it grow out a little bit, too. I just, it was short and I, it was like great for a day. And then I was like, you know what I hate is having short hair. Because <laughs> it's like, I have to do it if it's short. I think people are always like, oh, if you get it short, then you can just like wash it and go. But like my hair type doesn't do that. And so I'm like, no, if it's long, I can just let it do whatever I want, like whatever it wants. So I just need to get it to that point. Well, this is what I was talking about with the guy who cut my hair last night. He was saying, he was like, long hair is the best. He's like, because long hair like hides all kinds of quirks. Like it does. People like discover they have cowlicks and stuff when they cut their hair because like Mm -hmm. the weight of the hair isn't like masking it and it's kind of what you're saying like yeah like I've noticed like I can let my hair air dry and like it doesn't look great but it looks way Mm -hmm. better than if I let it air dry when it's short so it's yeah totally it's like the weight of the hair just helps you exactly like solves a lot of my problems (laughs) yeah um plus I mean you're gonna want enough hair to like if you want to put it up so yeah I actually think I want to wear it down but even all the more reason for it but to then, be long. Yeah, well, I like even really better to have to, it long. It really needs yeah. to grow. It's got like, you got like two months, three months hair. Just like really make it happen. What are like, what is it like some vitamin you can like take? Yeah, like, carrot yeah. Or make a lot of like um, bone broth for like the collagen. Mm. <laughs> mm, I was that might be for broth. your nails though. I don't. I think it's for both. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I did yesterday, and I I started a puzzle. So it's okay. great. It's a great day, honestly. That's exciting. And I had like my favorite takeout. Like I was like, oh, okay. Mm. I mean, I yeah. ne- I like never get takeout, but my friend mm. like came over, and I felt really bad because I was like, I'm a bad host. I have like no snacks, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, but it's okay. We can order food. <laughs> yeah. It's like I've got this. Oh um, my god! You know what we? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. One more <laughs> side note. What we did yesterday. Uh, and this will come up again. Uh, my friend Alex came over and hung out with boy Alex, boyfriend 
whatever he is, uh, fiance Alex. And, uh, we just hung out and like watch movies and cook dinner and whatever. And so we, we watched practical magic. And then afterwards, like it was still early. It, it wasn't like, it was like still too early to be like, all right, see you later. But like not quite early enough that we could like fit in another movie. And so we accidentally watched movie trailers for like a full hour. <laughs> so we were renting, we rented the movie on Amazon and like, it gives you, you know, it's like, Oh, here's other movies that like have some of the same people in it or that like I have the same vibe. And we, d- we just like kept going deeper and deeper into this like rabbit hole. What trailers did like, you watch? Oh my god, a bunch of bad rom com, like every bad rom com we ever watched. Uh, and then like, oh man, I don't know, I don't know, I, I I don't even remember them all. But like a couple of Sandra Bullock ones, and then I think that led us into like a different leg. Maybe it was like, oh, we did some like because Practical Magic is witch movie, so there were some like horror things. So we we're like, oh, we watched the Sleepy Hollow trailer. Then maybe we watched another like Johnny Depp trailer, and then that's like leads you into another Christina Ritchie trailer. And like, uh, oddly though, a couple of the actually, I would say a significant portion of the trailer of the quote unquote trailers that are there on Amazon before you like rent or buy a movie are not real trailers. And in some cases, I was like, okay, this movie's so old that like I understand maybe that we like lost that trailer or like nobody has it. So you just like clip together your own thing. But even for some of the newer movies, like I was like, why do you not have the proper trailer here? It's like literally just a scene from the movie. Yeah. Like that's why what... we tried to watch the steel Magnolias trailer and it was literally just like a minute of the movie. And then it ended and we were like, they didn't even have credits. And we're like, what, <laughs> what is this movie about? That's <laughs> you haven't told us anything on Netflix when they don't have a trailer. God, it's like, so when weird. It's just like another thing. It's like they play like a clip or a scene from the movie. Yeah, so weird. It yeah. was so bizarre. Oh, we did. We watched the, um, trailer for book club. Do you know that movie? Yeah. Like I watched that movie. movie. Oh boy. Well, we made a lot of judgments about a lot of things. It was really bad. It looked pretty bad. <laughs> we also watched the trailer for Leap Year, that terrible Amy Adams movie. Oh, I've it was seen mostly, that too. It was mostly me and Alex being like, yeah, I've watched that. I've watched that more than once. <laughs> Let's watch the trailer and talk about how bad it was. Anyway, that, that was really That one was also fun. really bad. So Book Club bad. was bad. Book Club would have been better if it had been made like two years earlier. But by the well, time we, they that's made what that we were, book, or made that movie, it was like, who cares about Fifty Shades? Exactly. Of that was what we were like. We were like, how old is this movie? And like, well, who is still talking about that book? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, the actresses in it are great, but I was like, eh. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, anyway, so it, you can kill a lot of time watching movie trailers, is what <laughs> you, I'm saying. You absolutely it, can. It's like we watched 20 rom coms. <laughs> Apple used to do a great job of like curating trailers mm. and I used to watch them, but I, I just like never go to the movies anymore. I mean, there mm-hmm. are some actually, actually there are some movies this year that I am excited to see, which is like yeah. kind of a rarity for me. Like I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, I think I want to go to the movies. Yeah. yeah. I like anyway. going to the movies. All right. Now we should, we should yeah. do it. Speaking of trailers. <laughs> yes. Speaking of trailers. It's showtime. <laughs> oh boy. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Nailed so it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to stipulate to that. Um, So, you know, we saw before that Giles showed up with some, you know, stragglers, uh, a.k.a. potential slayers that he brought with him and had collected. And so as time has gone on a little bit, it seems like a couple more potentials have been recruited or, you know, sent sent their way or whatever. So the house is now pretty it's getting full of young teenage girls who are all potential slayers. And they're, everybody is, you know, pretty on edge. Like another new Slayer, I'm sorry, Slayer, uh, potential 
comes named, uh, what, what's her name with the R? Rona. Um, and when she's at the, <laughs> oh, I don't know when she, I know I'm like, not, I don't know any of their names and there's so many of them. And there's Buffy only doesn't be, know their names either. So fair enough. Okay. Exactly. I'm like, whoever it was, one of them shows up at the bus station and gets attacked. Luckily, Buffy is there in time this, you know, this time, unlike kind of some of the others to protect her and, and get her home. Um, but I mean, she's understandably like, she's one that didn't even know she was a potential until really recently when all this started happening. So it's like, they're there, they're this whole, a, a big array of training and awareness level for like what slayers are and what watchers are and all this stuff. So they're all there. The house is getting very crowded and they seem to pretty much just be really nervous. They don't really believe that Buffy's going to protect them. They're not really sure that there's like a clear plan for what's going on. You know, the girls that were there last week saw Buffy get really beat up by this Uber vamp. So everybody is just sowing seeds of doubt. So um, I mean, just continuing on this one plot line, and then I can circle back to some other things. Essentially, Buffy realizes what's going on. She doesn't want the... Um, she wants to prove to the Slayer, to the potentials that she can take care of this and that they will be fine and demonstrate to them like what a Slayer really is. And so she and Willow and Xander work up a little plan telepathically to basically stage a fight with the Turrican where Buffy will win. Buffy will win because she knows ultimately she will win. She just didn't know what she was up against before. I think that's editorializing a bit, but anyway, so they get all the girls into this, you know, abandoned construction site. I'm not even abandoned. It was, it's the middle of the night. No one's at the construction site and she takes down pretty handily and aggressively beheads the Turrican just to kind of say like, see, I know, you know, dust off my hands. So I would say that that's point one. Point number two is that, you know, so Rona showed up and they find out later that actually another uh, potential was sent to them, but they're like not sure that they knew about it. So uh, Buffy and Xander go to investigate. Oh, somebody told them that she was staying at a hotel because you hadn't been able to get in touch with them. And so they go look at that hotel and find out that she's been killed. But they recognize the potential, the dead potential's face and realize that she has been in the house this whole time. And so realize that it was actually the first who was there sowing seeds of discord and really ramping things up with the potentials. And it was part of the reason why they were so doubtful that Buffy could do anything in the first place. So now that's been uncovered back in the very, very background. Spike is also still, you know, being held captive by the first and the Turkhan was kind of the main guard. So now that that's been taken out, Buffy is able to go there and rescue him. And he's just been there fantasizing about getting rescued. And the first has been taunting him. Um, and then the final point is that uh, Anya and Giles get a lead for um, this mystical, you know, thing, deity-ish thing, Belux's eye or something that can maybe give them more information on how to defeat the first or explain to them what is going on with the first. And they are able to make contact. And it tells them that the reason that the first was able to like has an opportunity now and has been able to make these moves when it's been around seemingly since the beginning of time is because of something that happened with the Slayer. And at first we think, oh, is it because Buffy died? But he says, no, it's because you brought her back, meaning Xander, Anya, Willow and Tara are pretty much responsible for this opportunity that the first has okay sorry that went on really long but that's that's it yeah so let's let's start there because I think we were talking a little bit last time about the problem with this storyline is that because of the nature of the first it's just mm -hmm. like there's a lot of like why right like yeah. why now why bother like who cares right yeah 
And this kind of answers it a little bit of like why the first is just now taking this opportunity, especially right. given Buffy is someone that the first has encountered before right. and now is like making these aggressive moves. And it turns out it's because Buffy herself has kind of upset the balance and the first right. is trying to reset the scales in a way because on the side of good, you have this slayer who keeps dying but yet still lives and right. not through any fault of her own, but it is the case that, you know, she's still alive. And so right. this natural progression of things of Slayer dies, new Slayer is born, it doesn't happen. And, and what you see actually in this very episode is, as Buffy takes on the Turrican, is this not invincible, but this very capable, very deadly weapon that the side of good has because Buffy is not dead and, like, isn't a young, scared girl who's still learning. Like, that's the advantage that the side of evil always has, right, is that Slayer is really young, she's inexperienced, and they don't live very long. So, like, while the Slayer is always a formidable foe, there is an advantage that the the evil people have, right? Mm -hmm. And Buffy has kind of eroded that advantage because she's... So experienced, She's experienced. Yeah. She, like, knows all this. And you can kind of see the first point of view of how this would seem really unfair. I mean, even Buffy right. herself is like, I'm the thing monsters have nightmares about. And it yes. seems like it's true. Yeah. But I don't know. Do you think, like, that's enough? Well, I don't think it's enough to make the first work, but I did really like that revelation. I think just because we spent a lot of time, you know, last season, really what Buffy's them bringing Buffy back last season is used to fuel Willow and her turn. But I, I think it's appropriate that there have continued to be consequences. And I thought it was really interesting as like a thought experiment when uh, I forget if it was Anya or the, the I that said it, but they were like, I mean, would the world be better if Buffy had stayed dead? Because then would Willow have even made that turn and at all? You know what I mean? So it's like there, there has been quite a bit of fallout from their decision to bring her back. And obviously like, at the end of the day, I'm happy she's still there. And I, I, I guess just in my own sense of like faith, oddly, like want her to, I want this to be the right thing, but I think it is worth questioning. So I like the ambiguity and the like grayness that that is bringing up. Certainly does nothing to quality of my complaints about the first though. Other than, yes, I think that is, I think that is a reasonable explanation for why now, but I feel like why now was like really the least of our concerns with the first, you know? Yeah. So yes, I, I agree, right. but like I- I think it's an interesting angle to take to kind of not, I mean, obviously you want the good guys to win, but yes. I, I, th- I feel like I kind of understand the, the rationale for this. And, you know, it does seem like the first is trying to make up for unbalanced skills. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and you kind of understand that, like, yeah, it's totally valid in yeah. a way. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I, But I like that for once, too, this burden isn't even going to be all on Buffy's shoulders because her friends are the ones that did this. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I don't know. It's like there. And I want to as I've been trying to, but I probably will forget all of them. Like, again, put a pin in that notion because Buffy's leadership is going to be called into question. It already has been a little bit. um, But I think that's another interesting note is like. I feel like Buffy is always takes all the blame for things that go wrong, but she's not the only one making decisions, especially not anymore. And clearly decisions of consequence. So I, I think, yeah. So on the whole, I was a fan of that as an explanation um, though. Yeah. Just to reiterate though, it doesn't make the first any less kind of, 
you know, indecipherable as like a viewer is like, okay, but what does this thing do and what can it do? It is like all very ambiguous. So that part is still very unfulfilling. Yeah, but I agree with you. I like the notion of the consequences because we've, we dealt with it, as you said, last season, like the more immediate consequences, like close to home of like, what do you do with a Buffy that you've revived from the dead? And mm-hmm. what do you do with a witch who is out has of this taste of power and then is out of control? And then yeah. that all stabilized. So now you deal with the larger consequences of what you've done. And, and I like that there are these ripple effects and these long like long, yeah, long legs, long gestating consequences, yeah, if you will, I agree. because it's not a small thing that they did. Right. And I think there's a tendency, especially in an episode or sorry, not an episode, a season that is 22 episodes long is by the time you get to the finale of last season, you've almost forgotten that Buffy started the season dead. Right. I mean, they're right, constantly right. reminding you, but you're, it's easy to kind of put that in the keep going. Yeah, yeah, totally. And this doesn't let you do that because it says, no, they did something they really should not have. And now they're having to pay for it. Yeah. And And, I mean, as we see where this is going, like the scales get way out of whack in different ways, but this is kind of like the battle that they've brought on themselves. Yeah. And actually just to shoot. Yeah. Um, I think also a thing that we talked a lot about last season is how, as the show goes on, I mean, they try to pivot towards more adult problems and more adult consequences. And so I think that this is very in line with like, there's high school Buffy and then there's one awkward year of transition. And then, you know, whether or not this is a a true representative timeline of how most people's lives go or not. I mean, I, I think it is also appropriate that like, I don't know, I feel like consequences is a very adult notion. Not, uh, you know what I mean? Obviously kids and everybody faces consequences, but like this long running consequences of a very big decision that you've made, I think is important. Oh, actually. And what I really wanted to say is that I, I think what I also, now that we're talking about it, what I really like about this is that I think, especially in, you know, in any show that deals with magic, there is, you're always, almost always going to come up up across this, like, oh, can you bring people back from the dead question? I think it comes up a lot. I think in all magic you know, storytelling. Mm -hmm. And there's always kind of like, especially for younger audiences is like, well, you can't do that because it's wrong or you can't do it because they won't come back. Right. And you get these kind of quick answers. I really like that because of the nature of this show, they have had, we have gotten that explanation, you know, once or twice before. And we've seen it with Joyce in that one episode after she died. But like, I love that they're like really proving like, this is what happens if you mess with something and you weren't supposed to, there are really, really far reaching consequences for it. It's not just something that we're saying as a pat answer so that people stop whining about like, well, you've made this magic exist in this world. Why can't you just bring people back from the dead? Like, I feel like this is actually a really good answer to that. I think so too. And I, you know, it's funny in contrast to, I don't watch as many of them anymore, but I was watching a bunch of like, the superhero shows, right, on mm-hmm. CW. And they have a really, a big tendency to just bring people back from the dead. Yeah. Like, left and right, you know. I mean, like, they have the <laughs> yeah. advantage of, like, timelines and alternate sure. universes and, like, all this stuff. But it is refreshing in an, and like, when you get a little bit used to this concept of, like, death any, isn't permanent, mm-hmm. that that you see a show that does operate a bit in that avenue of death isn't always permanent, but because it's not permanent, bad things will happen. Like right, right, it's yeah. nice. It is nice to see that there's ripple effects and like 
consequences from this storytelling because it makes it seem more realistic in a way it does, that yeah. as realistic as bringing people back right. from the dead no, exactly, be, but, but like it, it yeah. does make it seem more like this whole connected story instead of just like oh we didn't want this actor to go so we brought right, back right, someone right, totally, playing like totally. their doppelganger or something like it's yeah it's it's and a little not, bit it's yeah. way more satisfying because it, it also like doesn't make you have to like kind of suspend your disbelief as right much, right no I agree because then it's like well why why couldn't we just bring Joyce back why couldn't we just do blah 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 if we were able to do it here and it's not that I think it's always the wrong choice you mean I think the kind of superhero mode is its own you know like superheroes and comics kind of live by their own rules I, I'm not trying to criticize stories that don't do this I just think it is a really it is turning out to be satisfying especially now that we're really sitting here and, and going through it with a fine-tooth comb like oh actually I am really happy about this so yes well, and it's really nice to, like, not hate the first as much. <laughs> yeah. I, I still feel like it's not actually my reflection on the first so much as just the surrounding. Well, of, the first to me the is circumstances so, like, I'm so okay vague with. of a concept that, like, I'm sort of substituting the first for, like, this consequences. But, like, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah, It yeah, kind yeah. of yes. makes me less, like, because I think what I was really struggling with was, like, this is the final season of Buffy, and the villain just seems so intangible, like, well, yeah. literally intangible, but also just, like, something that's so hard to grasp. And yeah. this does actually have a, like, very roundabout way of doing so, but it does bring this back to, like, the local level, if you will. Like, a little bit, yeah. To, like, the Scoobies and, like, the consequences of their actions, and this is almost a villain of their own making. Mm-hmm. Not really, yeah. but almost. A little, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so oof, we should move on. <laughs> so, so much else happened in this episode, yeah? <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like I am going to admit to, you know, some, I don't know if this is personal failings or not. I think it's a little bit of many things. I am trying really hard not to just be annoyed by all the potentials. <laughs> uh, I no, think what do really, I have in my notes? Let's see. These girls are irritating the hell out of me. They really are. And I'm trying not to just knee jerk. Like, I think there is a lot of cultural reasons why we just find teenage girls to be annoying. And I'm trying not to let that be the only reason or to try and push against that instinct a little bit that has maybe been internalized, but man, they're not doing themselves any favors this episode. Um, I'm not really blaming cultural forces for my attitude towards these girls. They're objectively annoying. They really like, and didn't they, but do I think them any in this favors, episode, right? They're supposed to be. Like, I had to keep reminding myself, because I obviously knew the twist was coming, and I had yes. to keep reminding myself every time Eve opened her mouth right, that, she's, that she's doing this on purpose. An and agent of evil. Exactly. And she's trying to instigate this. But, like, every time they just erupt in a chorus of, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Why are we doing this? What's the point? Like, I was just, like, so annoyed. But, like, I think in this episode, that's very intentional. I think that it is, too. But I think it's – I don't know that I think it's the right choice because this is really the first time that we're dealing with all of them. And I think it's going to set the tone for the rest of the season when, like, they don't need to be so silly because they really are the same age as Dawn and Buffy were – you know, and Buffy was in the beginning of this whole show, I feel like they're doing them a disservice. But I, I agree with you that they're doing it on purpose in this episode, but I think it's going to have lasting consequences that are going to make them always feel kind of irritating. That's like, I don't think that it needed to be that way. <laughs> I, I feel I like... I think I remember them kind of settling down a little bit and like, this is just, you know, they're obviously understandably... A lot of them are new to this world. They're scared. Yeah. They've just seen Buffy almost die and she's supposed to be the person who keeps them safe and saves them. 
Yeah. You know, and like even Rona in this episode was like also kind of irritating. But like you have to remember like her first introduction to this was like almost getting killed by those. No, totally. Yeah. So I get it. But it's yeah. I mean, I I just feel like there was a better way to handle this. And I I mean, they get a reputation, too. That's what I'm not saying. But, you know, like there is definitely a known reputation, I think, in the fan community of like, God, the potentials are so irritating. And it's like, I don't think they had to be that way. I think they did it in this one episode to drive home all these points. And then it's like, well, now we got stuck in that rhythm and now they're just annoying. Maybe well, not. Maybe, also, maybe they won't annoy me next I, episode. But. I also wonder if they're doing it to try to make this distinction between Buffy and them in terms of age. Because, like, if we remember yeah, how but I think Dawn was mm. written for, like, two seasons, very, like, the she's the model for the potentials. Like, I guess that's what that's I'm... That's how they were writing teenage girls, which is surprising considering the way they wrote a teenage girl for three seasons mm-hmm. was totally fine. But it seems like they're making a conscious effort to de-age them in relation to Buffy and Willow because, I mean, some of these actresses look to be the same age and they're supposed to be younger, so yeah. I guess I, that's why they're doing it, but it's really annoying. I think you're right, but I again, then that's why it's so annoying because we finally got to this place with Dawn where they were like, oh, we can actually write her like she's 16 and not like she's 7. And so to see them just revert to this, like, it's just a weird tick of this show that I don't approve of, I guess, is is my final conclusion. Like, I, I understand that you maybe need to draw this distinction between them, but I don't know that you need to do it this way. I don't think it's really... I don't think it's adding anything to my experience watching it. To just feel like they're annoying and they're questioning everything. And they, they do have every right to question everything, but it's really hard as a, as a viewer to care about their questions because I know the answers to those questions. They have no reason to trust Buffy, but I have six and a half seasons worth of reasons to trust Buffy. Well, you know, so it's like, I don't need to go through this with you. It's not giving me anything. It's okay. And that's an interesting point to make because I don't know if I agree that they have no reasons to trust Buffy. Like, they've been told that she's the person that will go to and keep her safe, but they weren't promised, like, everything would be okay. And, like, True. Buffy is very obviously working her ass off to make right. sure everybody's protected, like, trying to figure out what's going on, trying to house them and, like, all this stuff. And they are just honestly coming across as, like, really ungrateful and, like, just kind of, like insubordinate like they do come across as insubordinate (laughs) yeah like they just like are questioning everything she does and they they haven't even given her a chance to do anything like some of them have been there for like two days and it's like they're immediately questioning everything and like that to me is like if they're really supposed to be in this position of like they're told go to Buffy see what she's doing they weren't told like go to Buffy question everything she does like if it's not perfect right out the gate she's failed like it just feels like in a way I guess I think I guess they're supposed to be immature, but it makes them seem even more immature. I, and like, I yeah, that they have this concept that they're allowed to question this. Like I just kind of like Dawn is in this episode the opposite of everything that they are. Like she's it's quiet, true. she's falling in line. Like she also does trust Buffy, so there is that. But I don't know. Like I. I don't know if it was supposed to be because Eve is like riling them up. I definitely because, think that's like part in the of it, last yes. episode, they were way more willing to kind of fall in line. And but like, now yeah, two, then they two of them Buffy have died get. already. I know, but yeah. like, <laughs> I just don't know that that would have the effect that 
they're showing in this episode. Well, but that's the, I guess that's part of it too, right? Is, is like, I, but I agree with you where it's like Verona, she didn't even know she was a slayer. So presumably what happened to her is she was living a normal life. Somebody said, somebody tried to kill her and they said, here, I can send you somewhere safe, get on this bus. And then someone tried to kill her again. And then she showed up and found out two other people just like her had been murdered already. So like, I, I, I see it. I under, I don't think that everything that they're doing is unreasonable from their point of view, but there is not enough time to get into seven points points of view. So like to try and aggregate them. And then, yeah, I guess I'm just saying like, we don't have, we don't have time for this. And I don't think it's fulfilling to try and get into them too much, at least not yet. Like let them be there for a while and let us get to even know whose name is, you know, whose before we get into all this questioning. And it is just, it's just hard for me to care about because I already know that Buffy is the leader, (laughs) you know, like I'm not questioning these things. They're not speaking for me in any way. So let's let's segue from here because I think I agree with you and it's not yeah. really working, but it does provide this motivation for Buffy where True. Yes. basically she puts herself in a situation where, you know, you said a little bit at the beginning, like she did, like she does now know what she's up against with the mm-hmm. Turrican, but that doesn't guarantee that she's going to kill him. What I think she does is put herself in a position where the girls are watching she it, yes she is fighting to the death but she's also has no option to fail like right. for these girls for their morale for for all of this to work for her to keep them together to be the leader like she absolutely has to kill this vampire and yeah. there is no other option like yeah. cuz she could run away hurt again or something like it wouldn't necessarily be death but she cannot fail and i think she does it on purpose because when she fought him the first time, yes, she didn't know what she was up against, but there was always kind of that escape hatch of, like, she just ran away, right? Right. But this time, like, she, it's literally kill him or everything falls apart. Right. And she engineers this whole situation of, like, turning it into a death match on display, turning right. it, you know, into this kind of learning opportunity. But I also think it was for her to give herself yeah. a lack no, of Yeah, no, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. And I and I like I like that also overall, you know, like I think I think she made a good choice and I appreciate her confidence in herself that like I mean, yes, to the what on the one hand it's like either she can beat this thing or she can't and this whole thing is gonna fall apart anyway, so like you may as well, you know, really isolate that feeling and you know, put it together in a final death match. But I I do yeah, I don't know. I liked seeing her recognize that like I can, I can do this and I'm going to do this. And like in that, I I thought that fight was really nicely choreographed and I really, I I don't know. I just really enjoyed watching her be at her best. And I, I don't know. There's just something really satisfying about when Buffy is clever in fights, like, you know, physically. And I like the scene where she's like about, she's like getting strangled and kind of near death from the Turcon. And then she's like, Oh, here's a thing. I, I can literally grab this arrow. I already shot at him and stick it in his eye as like a, a way to distract him. And then she's able to get the upper hand from that. And I just thought like, I mean, I'm not, obviously I have no like skills in fighting. I don't know what is really realistic, but I think it was a really good depiction of like, Oh, this, that's totally one of Buffy's strengths is how quick witted and clever she is. And so I love seeing her do stuff like that. It's really not a wider point based on that way. I kind of let it in as though it was going to be. I'm just saying I like that fight scene and I love seeing Buffy win. No, I agree with (laughs) both of those points. I think it is a great fight scene and it is a great moment for Buffy. But I also wonder like, so because we saw after the beating in the last episode, she she seems rattled and then she goes in and gives that like we're going to war speech basically. Mm-hmm. So like it's almost like maybe it's to buck herself up, but also for them. But 
I also wonder this fight too is like because she has this bravado when she walks in you know she's like I'm the thing monsters have nightmares about Mm -hmm. watch and learn this is gonna you know I'm gonna take him down yeah and then she does it and it's always so nice when like you you know talk yourself up and then deliver like there's Mm -hmm. there's that level of it but also I wonder if it's like Buffy convincing herself that she has what it takes because yeah the show didn't really do a great job I think of really showing the aftermath of the fight and like Buffy even being a little bit rattled by it like Mm -hmm. she's fighting in this episode as if things are normal um but I do wonder if that's also for her to be like showtime look what I can do and yeah do it um so it, I'm sure it's a confidence builder for her, like, going into, like, okay, the first is going to throw some nasty stuff at us. Mm-hmm. Especially no. after the morale of, like, you've had this girl that's dead and you didn't know and she's yeah. living in your house. Although I wonder, so I'm going to segue a little bit. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking about Eve in yes. the house. So she's obviously dangerous because she's talking and, like, sowing seeds of discord and, you know, trying to turn the potentials against Buffy and make them hopeless. But also, she can't touch them. So she's not I know. a physical threat. And so I kind of wonder at the immediate response of get her out of the house. Like, mm-hmm. she would be such a great tool to use to kind of convince the first... Right, like, had they... Else. Because, like, apparently they can all talk telepathically, so right. they could do the real plans that way and then yeah. convince the first that, like, something... I don't know, it just felt like an opportunity to get the upper hand that they got rid of. But. That's a good point. If they had used it to feed her bad information. Yeah. It seems like, like what they Buffy's normally would have done. Like she's always one step ahead of them. I guess in that moment, they were just so focused on the potentials and how they were losing them that they couldn't let another thing fester. But I think, yeah, no, I mean, it is a good point. Would it have been smarter? Yeah. Also, they they don't explain at all how Buffy can suddenly talk to Willow telepathically. I know, I know. I just went with it, but whatever. (laughs) Like, we've seen it before where it's a spell that Willow does, but Buffy just being like, hey, Will, can you hear me? Right. Yeah, what's up? Yeah, (laughs) like, like, they should have at least had Willow be the impetus, you know? Yeah. Hmm. That was the only one where I was like, hang on, what? (laughs) Yeah. Is there only one bathroom in the Summer's house? (laughs) Kind of seems like it. That's kind of what I was wondering. Not even a half bath, you think? That's a real nightmare. We've never really seen one. I know. It's really a nightmare. There's got (laughs) to be a half bath downstairs. There must be. I don't know. I have seen houses, uh, especially in California, that are like, it's a two-bedroom house with one bathroom. I'm like, that's an apartment. I I don't know. One bathroom just really stresses me out. So I'm just just making that note. (laughs) Well, my sister has one bathroom and effectively... Four bedrooms? Wow, yeah. But they, I mean, that's like, well, so this is what I wonder, because it's like they're, it's like an old converted, I think it was always two units, but like, at least I think it was, and then, so the attic is like, it was like old, like, servants' quarters or something, so like, the rooms aren't really that livable, like, they're not heated or, or like, not heated well, Mm -hmm. um, so they don't really use them, but they do have these rooms upstairs, but then I was thinking about that, I was like, but if they were servants' quarters, there's still only one bathroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I know that's neither here nor there. I just agree no, with everybody's stress about getting for more and more people in this home with only the one bathroom. <laughs> really, what I'm saying is one toilet. <laughs> I mean, let alone the whole shower and get ready situation. But like, oof. 
a I'm going to assume that there's probably like a half bath, but that there's only like so. one shower. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know because, well, now that I've I'm seen about it, this, yeah. like they, there's like, it seems to be that there's a bathroom in between like the master bedroom and then and Dawn's room maybe. Mm-hmm. And then Buffy's is like, room is like across the hall, but like, yeah, they're all using the one bathroom. Yeah. This is really not important, but... No, like, it's I'm, not. It just is the thing that really, I yeah. I think a lot about, about... I think a lot about bathrooms, so... Yeah. <laughs> That's my personal issue. Um, okay, I also liked that when they went... So Anya and Giles, like, try to get a lead out of some vampire she's... Or vampire, some demon she used to date to, like, get to this eye thing. And I appreciated that he mentioned uh, kittens as, like, I wouldn't even do this for all the kittens in South Korea or something. And I don't know why... Whatever country he picked was arbitrary, I guess, but... I just liked this. Oh, kittens really are like a, a, the set currency for demons, at least in Sunnydale. <laughs> no, I don't know. I appreciate weird consistencies where I can find them. I like that he wouldn't sleep with her because she's pretty. She now. is human now. Yeah. It's like, I, come back when you are a leper. <laughs> yeah. I also wonder. I know the. I know the answer is because this is on network TV. But the Turkon wearing a little outfit is really strange. Why is he so puritanical about like? being naked yeah doesn't need an outfit why does he have like fighting leathers on (laughs) even just like i guess is like a level of armor then i guess it just seemed a little i don't know seemed a little off to me also he's just like chilling around the cave like waiting for the first to like (laughs) tell him what to do and like yeah that that part's a little bit funny to me like and but i will say we didn't even really mention the end where buffy Oh, does rescue I, Spike from the cave. I did say it, but yeah. I don't yeah. know. I don't have any further thoughts on it. Well, like, I guess okay. I found it to be, like, a really touching moment. Like, they're <sighs> both, they've both been through pretty brutal physical beatings. And yeah. Spike has, like, been holding out for Buffy this whole time and believed that she would come, and she did come. I don't know. I was like, well, this is a really sweet moment. It is, I mean, it is. I just, Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I want to encourage this feeling in you. So, but I'm I'm fine. <laughs> I I did have a dream the other day that I was watching what you know the next episode of Buffy, and there was something that happened with Spike, and I was like, this is the most perfect scene, and now I remember why everything comes together. And so I have to tell you, it wasn't this. And so I was like, I don't know. I don't know what what perfect thing I imagined in my dream, but I'm like disappointed now, <laughs> which isn't really fair to this scene. No, but Dream Jenny came up with the perfect, per- perfect conclusion for the Spike storyline. But I don't remember what it was. I wish I. I could. mean, there to me, there already is kind of a perfect conclusion to the Spike storyline. Is it well, the end of season five, and then we just call it quits? Nope. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I don't. We can talk about that sometime later, I guess. Well, yeah, when it happens. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure what you were implying. Uh, okay. I mean, Andrew's still around. I'm enjoying him as the comedic relief. I know he's a murderer. And I don't think he should get off the hook, and he's not going to, but... I did enjoy that he was trying to make pop culture references, and, like, nobody's, like, picking up what he's putting down. And then, finally, he's like... Like, Buffy's like, welcome to Thunderdome. And he's like, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) I did write down, sometimes I feel like Andrew. (laughs) Like, I know I talk like that sometimes. Yeah. Also, uh, Xander and Buffy, like, when they go to the motel, 
they're like, oh, this was the only check-in, like, all week. And then Buffy's like, oh, tourism must be down. And I'm like, again, we have to answer this question. (laughs) What is the town known for? Because they have an airport. They have a bus station. And apparently they have a tourism industry. For what? (laughs) I know. Well, you know, and and the other question, and, like, I know that this isn't the point, and I don't want to dwell on it, but, like, who the hell lives next door to Buffy? Because they were surrounded by, like, men in hoods and a, and a Neanderthal uh, vampire on the front lawn. Like, what do the neighbors think? They must have moved out. There can't be anybody living next door to them anymore. They, they just must know not to look out the window. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, all right, we should move on to Angel, yeah? This has gone on yeah. for a long time. Well, Sorry. it's okay. Angel will be really short. I know. Is it not, uh, mm, Angel was bad. Pretty the much nothing happened. So... At the end of the last episode, we realized that whole episode was a sham, and I'm still angry about it that Mm -hmm. I got duped. But but turns out, so Angelus is back. They've got his soul in a little jar. Wesley puts it in the safe, and then now they've got to deal with Angelus and try to figure out what he knows about the beast. Um, Of course, we get a lot of warnings about (coughs) Angelus is evil. He's tricksy. He (coughs) don't listen to what he says. He'll try to take whatever weakness you have. And exploit it. And Wesley's like, I'm the best. I'm going to go down here and deal with him. Which reminded me, okay, I won't I won't editorialize yeah. while I, I do this. So Wesley goes down, talks to Angel. Everybody's watching on the monitor. You know, Angelus is like, hey, Wesley. And like immediately starts picking apart things like you've got father issues. You're a failed watcher. And oh, by the way, you're like really in love with Fred. Doesn't it bother you about her and Gunn? Oh, by the way, I can like hear them having sex at night and and like basically just getting like really gross about it. Yeah. Um, Which, of course, since Fred and Gunn are watching is super awkward for them and everybody else who's involved. So they all take their turns like going down there. Wesley and or Wesley goes back upstairs. Fred and Gunn bring Angel some blood. Um, And I'm going to keep saying Angel just because I keep forgetting. It's fine. Whatever. Um, He attacks Fred and um, Wesley comes in and like shoots him with tranquilizers. Like again, warning them like don't get too close like he'll take any opportunity so they all kind of take their turns connor goes down there cordelia goes down there nothing goes well um everybody finds out that cordelia slept with connor Mm -hmm. all very icky and finally cordelia is like hey i'll make you a deal if you tell us what you know you can sleep with me essentially yeah and angelus seems to take her up on it and he's like okay so he starts telling them I encountered this beast. He offered me a deal. I didn't take it. He beat me up. I passed out. But mm-hmm. what they do find out is that what the beast was trying to use Angelus for was to kill these priestesses who were going to banish him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're led to think that they did succeed because Angelus didn't help him. And last thing he remembers seeing is the priest showing up and probably banishing the beast. Mm-hmm. So this is the only thing they have to go on. They look up these priestesses, find out that they once again, conveniently, live in L.A., mm-hmm. and they go to their house and find them all dead. So mm-hmm. the beast has clearly been there long before, killed all of them. No one noticed because the sun got blocked out and the city has basically fallen apart. So they're all, you know, really bummed at this development. They come back to the hotel and they're like, okay, well, this was a dead end. Angelus can't help us. Let's put his soul back. Um, but the soul's not in the safe anymore mm-hmm. it's gone missing oops so oops and that's literally all that happened so 
Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of this episode? I was really excited for Angelus to show up. No, I was very let down. No, totally. And I think because I think I think what's really disappointing is that yes, number yes, Angelus is a great opportunity for David Boreanaz and Angel to be a lot more fun, even though he's super bad. And and I understand that a lot of what he does is is exactly what he's doing here, which is just manipulatively sowing discord. Fine. I guess I just felt like they wrote him into this arc just so that they could finally air everybody, like just to get everybody on the same page and get all the draw air out all the drama. And so like, I guess what I'm saying is it's like, I feel like they only wanted Angelus back just so that they could reveal the Cordy, mostly for the Cordelia and Connor thing, but also for the Fred and gun thing. And I just feel like that's such a poor use of Angelus who is so fruitful when you let him loose. Like also he's literally in the cage. Like I just uh, writing wise, I don't, I feel like they really did hem themselves in like really restrain themselves when like the whole fun of Angelus is that you get to be totally loose and let yourself wild, you know, let yourself get wild. So it just was really restrained for what, yes, for an episode called soulless where Angelus makes his, you know, final, you know, finally makes his triumphant return to just be like, well, he was just there gossiping about everybody the whole time. <laughs> I get that that's it was basically all like, he's doing. It that's was very, right. Yeah. And also, I mean, like, yeah, I I didn't really go into it because Ugh. I didn't enjoy this part of the episode. But he does succeed in gossiping well enough to sow some pretty bad discord between the already tense right. triangle of Fred, Wesley, and Gunn. And Wesley also does not. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Wesley decides this is his moment to, like, admit to Fred what he thinks yeah. and kisses her, and Gunn almost walks in on it. And, mm-hmm. and then they start fighting, and it's like, I don't yeah. know. Like, I was like, is this really what this episode is about? That, like, Wesley's yeah. admitting his feelings to Fred, Gunn is beating Wesley up. Never mind that Gunn has some Neanderthal tendencies when it comes to Fred. Like, Well, and that they both repeatedly talked about Fred as though she weren't there, and that was really irritating Right, and while grating. she's standing right there, yeah. and that Gunn apparently doesn't trust Fred at all when she's like, I'm with you. Like, all of this is annoying yeah. for various reasons. But to have that in the middle of this episode, I was just like... Is this what this episode, the whole point of this episode was for? And also for everybody to find out about Cordelia and Connor. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a poor use of all that happens. And yeah. it's just like, this is annoying it and is. boring. Like, it was pretty we boring. We already know all of this. And it's the worst part of what's happening. Yeah. So to focus on it is just. Yeah. I no, don't know. It, I don't... it wasn't remotely interesting to me. And I thought, like, I'm not usually like. I go back and forth on the flashbacks, but I was interested to see Angelus interact with the Beast, and there's barely anything to this story. Well, right, and I'm like, I'm really interested in why doesn't Angel remember this? Like, that stuff is things that I want answers to and would be more interesting to focus on. Like, I guess I just wish it were more about Angel. For once, I've never wanted Angel to be the center of the story before. I I can't even believe I just said that. But, like, man, would this have been better if it were just actually about Angelus and Angel? Yeah, right? Yeah. I, you know, the other thing that I hated and like, I, I really, I don't remember. I know Cordelia is going to come to a head soon. I don't remember exactly how and why and which parts of all of this matter and which parts don't, but like that they have now reduced her to prostitution. I just was like, you know what? I don't love this. I, I don't think this is a good look. I don't even think it really makes sense. Does Angel, does Angelus really care that much? I don't know. I mean, I guess because he has literally nothing else to do because he's stuck in a cage, but like, I know that he's a creep, but they just like really made him so, so, so 
just lecherous and then that they have Cordelia lean into this like I just didn't like it well and it makes no sense because Mm -hmm. the relationship she has is with Angel so Angelus knows about this obviously but like wouldn't care enough that like this this concept that like her prostituting herself to Angelus is somehow the the like best bargaining chip that she has is kind of ludicrous. Like, it is, and that they never all made have. any reference that like he particularly wants to sleep with her. It's not going to happen, and would sure to be a death sentence anyway. And mm-hmm. it's like to use that as like, every, and then she turns off the TV, and everybody's like, "Oh, oh what, what did, did you, you offer him?" And yeah. it's like, what? Yeah, what did you offer him? Why is that like? I agree with you. It didn't work. It was gross. But it also was, like, not true to anything that we know. Like, I do believe that Angelus, in the exactly right circumstance, would sleep with Cordelia. But, like, not as a motive. It wouldn't motivate him. Like, yeah, no, I, mean, exactly. I think he's, like, kind of casually interested in her because she's a beautiful woman. And, like, I'm sure that he's, you know, yeah, deep down maybe more attracted to her than to other girls because Angel is attracted to her. But, like, I just, he doesn't love anyone. Like, And I don't even get the impression that he cares about having sex that much. Like, I don't think that was ever a thing that Angelus was, like, super, super into. Like, maybe for a minute with Darla. But, like, even then, it was just, like, more part of this whole greater power trip thing that he had going on. I don't know. I just, yeah, it just didn't make sense. And I can't believe that they reduced her to that. Or rather, I can completely believe that they reduced her. And she's like, me. And I was just like... What? That's not like, true. Yeah. Like Cordelia has more than that. How is this thing that he wants? Like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But, but just as a character that they steps in this episode, like Wesley completely reverts to This is what I was going to say in the beginning to like I was reminded so much of like season 3 Wesley or even first season of Angel Wesley being like, "Oh, I'm going to be the best at this. I'll go first. I know what's up. Like, he's telling everybody how to deal with Angelus. Mm -hmm. And then he, like, falls into all the traps himself, which was also predictable. Like, you knew that was going to happen. But it's also just, like, incompetent watcher Wesley again. And I was like, we've, we've, like, moved past that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what was their plan, though? Like, I'm sitting here and I'm like, honestly... Why would he tell you anything? And why would you think that he would? That's the other thing. Like, pump him for information, but, like... What what motivation does he have Why to tell he, you? Because yeah. what they also keep repeatedly telling him is, you're going to tell us what we want, and then we're just going to put your soul back. Exactly. Like, like, so then why does he care? Yeah, he has nothing but motivation to drag this out as long as possible so that he can get an opportunity. Like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And even that, like, Fred went in there and just stood close to him. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Is this 101? Like... You don't have to have that part like that was going to like keep her separate from him. But I was like, you just gave him a weapon. And that's exactly what happened. Well, and then like Cordelia was able to go in there and stand just out of reach. So like, guys, there's literally one thing you do and it's don't stand close enough. Like, don't get close. They had a red line on the floor. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. I didn't realize they had a red line, actually. But okay. well, yes. Was this a successful episode? No. did I like it? Not really. I kind of did like Wesley and Fred kissing. I guess I do have a little latent ship in my in the back of my head, and I didn't really know that, but whatever. I mean, Wesley continues to be super hot, regardless of how stupid he's acting or not. I, um, yeah, I want to be really clear. I 100% ship Okay. <laughs> did I just say Fresley? I don't want to coin that. I meant to say Fred and Wesley. But <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, God. Um, I do 100% ship them. Like, them finally getting together is like my favorite one of my favorite things that happens in this entire show. I mean, yeah. 
I wish it but, didn't come at the cost of them running Gun as a character into the ground and making yes. him increasingly stupid, but whatever. Yes, yeah. so that's what I want to say, is that I want to be really clear that any any moment that they get closer, I'm totally happy yeah. about. It's the way that it's happening. No, it's as so annoying. Wesley thinks he's, like, stealing her from Gun or marking his territory yeah. or generally being a dick to, to Gun and then vice versa. Like, I could do without all yeah. of that. yeah. And yeah. I think that only carries through, like, through the, the remainder of the show. But, no, I I didn't mind him kissing her either. I, I did mind she, that she did it in that way. Me too. In that uh, she clearly didn't want him to. Uh, and agree, to was, agree to disagree, well, though. She did kiss him back. Once he kissed her, yeah. Okay. But, I mean, like, in the moment, like, yeah, she, that was not the moment. Like, that okay. wasn't your moment, Wesley. Like, okay. you just took a random moment to be like, actually, now's the time to tell you. It's not the time to tell her. Yeah, like, that's true. <laughs> it's not. I guess he thought, like, it's out there now. I may as well just go with it now. I yes. don't know. I don't like that side of Wesley. No, I don't either. I, I like the of... side of Wesley when Fred and Gunn got together and he was like, she chose you. Yeah. And, like, he was really obviously really bummed about it, but he was like, you know, kind of took a step back. Yeah, and, she can make know. her own choices. Yeah, it is annoying yeah. when they objectify her and they do it right in front of her face. Uh, yes. yes, agreed. Uh, shoot, I had one other thing. Yes. Uh, okay, I do have, uh, two wonderful pieces of trivia that came out of watching this episode. Uh, you oh. know the first one. I don't think you know the second one. Uh, so, again, I mentioned that I was wa- watching this with another Alex yesterday, in addition to my normal Alex. <laughs> buffered up so on Alex. Um, have we also mentioned that my roommate is named Alex? There's <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of Alexing going, a lot, going around. Um, so, you know, she was very game and, like, jumped in on this, you know, mid-season Angel episode, and I was like, I'll try and give you the rundown, but whatever. And so she spent a lot of time on IMDb to try to see why she recognized some of these actors. And even though he's not in this episode, a great piece of trivia that she came across is that the guy who plays Skip, who we haven't seen since last season, is the actor who plays Roy in The Office. And I can't believe that neither you nor I knew that. You texted me that. It blew my mind. Me too. I was like, oh my God. I was just like, I was like, I have to go back and watch it. I'm like, wait, really? No, it can't be. Like, I just like... And you can't see him at all. Like, it is not on us for not seeing it. I was like, oh yeah, he really is under... It's not just makeup. It's tons of prosthetics. You don't see anything but his eyes. But his voice doesn't even sound No, it doesn't. Anyway, what a wild, what a wild bit of news. <laughs> um, okay, here's the other thing. Uh, do you know who directed this episode? Yes, I saw okay, that okay. in the credits, and I was like, <laughs> and I, oh, shoot, I'm glad you brought it up, because I meant to look it up, and I totally forgot, but I was like, wait, is it that one? Yes, it is. Sean Austin, as in uh, Sean Sam Astin. Astin. Well, I thought you said it Austin, but okay. Oh, well, uh, I don't know. Sam Gamgee from, you know, <laughs> The Lord of the Rings. and The Goonies. Rudy from Rudy <laughs> and the, the guy from Encino Man and from, like, a billion movies in the 90s and aughts is uh, directed this episode. And the wiki is just like, oh, he, like, wanted to direct an episode of television. So he, like, mentioned to a friend and this is what happened. So sorry we're shitting on your um, episode. <laughs> it's not your fault. You yeah, didn't you write, didn't write it. the story. <laughs> no, I, um, I was laughing, too, because... Like I said, I don't know if I mentioned this um, on air, but I, like, didn't notice when the episode ended because, like, again, nothing was happening. Right. So I just, like, had no concept of time. And then all of a sudden, like, the credits are playing. And I was like, wait, was that it? And then um, and then I saw a director and I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so some good things The most interesting thing about this, this episode yeah. is who directed <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, God. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I... So the good news is that, predictably, of course, Angelus is not making a one-episode return. So maybe right. next time will be better. Yeah. Yeah. This was bad. I was just such a waste of him. Well, I, I hope it was a cheap episode because... Yeah, saving some money to, like, gear like up or something. A jail cell. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well... That's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, next time we have... Uh, potential. Ooh, potential. I'm really excited about that one. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what we have on Angel as usual. Calvary. Cavalry. Calvary. Calvary. Okay. Well, they've got to get his soul back somehow, so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's what we'll talk about next time. Mm-hmm. Uh, until that point, though, do you have any pop culture? <laughs> I don't. Uh, yeah. Have you tried watching a bunch of uh, rom-com movie trailers and then occasionally veering off into other <laughs> other related subjects? I, I recommend that. That's my recommendation. I might try that. It sounds like a fun way to spend an hour. The really funny thing is that the I, the like UI of uh, Amazon Prime on we watch it on TV on a PlayStation, and I'm I'm sure there is maybe, maybe there is a way around this, but basically like okay, we were watching Practical Magic, and then it would be like here's 20 other movies you might watch. So we would like watch a trailer for that. And then that one would have like, you know, here's 20 movies you might want to watch. So we watch a trailer for that. And then like, occasionally we would try and like back out to just like search for a movie that like had occurred to us instead of one that was like being recommended or whatever. And you would have to literally back through every movie that you had clicked on. So it was like, sometimes we would get, we were like 15 movies deep and it was like, Oh yeah, that one. Oh yeah, that one. Oh yeah, that one. We watched a trailer for burlesque. Oh, my oh God. God, it was a great day. Anyway, I'm just saying it was like also really it was first of all, it was irritating because like, can you not just back out to the search menu? Maybe you can. And we just didn't figure out how to do it. But like it was also funny because it was like we were doing this thing that was like a little bit embarrassing. And then it was like every time you'd want to get out of it, you'd have to like re- relive all these things that you admitted to watching. <laughs> oh, yeah, that one. Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, yeah. So. In all fairness, you never know what a movie is going to be until you watch it. So it's, it's okay if you've watched something that's terrible. It's oh, and, I, and you know, I, I frequently like to watch things because I have, I have a particular itch that needs to be scratched. And like, I have no problems with that. Well, I know exactly, exactly when I watched Sleep Year and it was as bad as I thought it would be, but it still did something for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you sometimes know? you just need to see a bad so-so romantic comedy. You just need to know the familiar beats. <laughs> Sometimes you get excited because the third version of A Christmas Prince is coming out yeah. on Netflix, and you're <gasps> like, this is going to be as bad as the other two, but that's why I want to watch it. Yeah. Oh, you know what I? You know what else I would recommend is uh, Linda Holmes is an NPR pop culture writer, and she did, a, a like, a few days ago, put out her, like, here's my summary of every cheesy Christmas movie that's coming out this season (laughs) and it's like so it's like all the Lifetime Hallmark and Netflix ones and she she just gives like two-ish sentence descriptions of them and then highlights which Christmas movie rom-com tropes they check off like oh this one is about someone going back to their hometown and saving it like this one's about you know I I don't I don't remember what they all were but it was really there is a special like checklist that they Mm -hmm. have and so she had them categorized by that or at least noted there's going to be one on Netflix with Vanessa Hudgens when yeah. a medieval knight travels back in time. Yeah, that one's on so that list. I am obviously watching that one. Yeah, I'll probably watch that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, the point of those movies is not to be good. No. It's, it's but not. you're absolutely right. It's to scratch an itch. 
But I um, so I would recommend reading her list if if, if you're going to venture into you know if you don't have time to watch the forty that are going to come out this year you know and certainly you shouldn't watch all of them I'm sure some of them are no, even I even don't. above this like bad <laughs> level the, the a, one starring like uh, Candace Cameron and all of those yeah, I tend to stay away yeah, from but yeah <laughs> yes. Netflix has like I think Netflix most of the time is like a step above I mean they're not it's not cinema but like right. you know. They're, okay, they're <laughs> They at least have some original concepts. I don't know. I um, think they're just more self-aware about what they're doing. I'm sure that yeah. Lifetime and Hallmark are self-aware at this point too, but I feel like some of their demographic isn't at that point. So I, you know. Did you know they have a convention? No, but that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. But like, that's the level to which they've taken these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so Do I will have... be watching that. So maybe one of those <clears throat> will be my pop culture recommendation coming yeah. up. Um, and I don't really have one today, but I did want to mention that I finally started watching Runaways on Hulu. Oh, I haven't watched the second season yet. I haven't either. Okay. I just watched the first one. But I wanted to just call out, I think we've talked about this before, but obviously, uh-huh. so some of the parents uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> fit very neatly into our Buffy world. Obviously, yeah. James Marsters is the, one of the fathers, uh-huh. um, so Spike. But I don't know if you recognized her, yes. but one of the mothers yes. is Wesley's girlfriend. <laughs> Oh, I the didn't recognize of, her. The daughter of um, the wizard that they Oh, saved. my God. Wait, who, whose yeah. mom is she in that? She's the one of the scientists. Right. She's like oh, my the God, you're totally her. right. Yeah. I'm sorry. As soon as she was on screen, I was like, oh, my God. Because where I first recognized her from was she also was in one episode of Charmed. Okay. Which is why I recognized her when she was on Angel. And Got the fun it. twist of that is the villain is one of the main guys from Charmed. So okay. I was like, oh boy, this is like Wait, isn't the villain also the WB, guy from True Blood? Like, <laughs> yeah. And then the other guy, the the one who plays her husband was on Alias. Okay. I'm sorry, but also the other mom, the one with the staff, is also in an episode of Angel. That's who I thought you were going to talk about. When he the one when they went to Vegas and they were like sealing people's fate. She oh was God. like the chef is the oh, is the mom okay. one of the moms. No, I totally knew that I recognized her from somewhere. Yeah. And I had not gone through her like IMDB profile yeah. yet, but you're totally right. Yeah. So oh a lot God. of connections. <laughs> I really liked the first season. People had mentioned that they didn't like the second one as much, but I feel like I'll still like it because for exactly what we were just talking about. Like that show is not my favorite show I've ever watched, but I did really like it. But it mostly just like really it just had my number and like scratches my particular like oh if I wanted to watch a, a show I just wanted to have all these features and I felt like that was like it ticked a lot of boxes. It was enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't really like they kind of messed with like what makes the premise of Runaways good, which is mm-hmm. that it's a bunch of scared teens like on the run mm-hmm. and they don't run away until like the last the very episode. End. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like and then you're spending a lot of time with the parents and it's like sort of interesting but I feel like the momentum always kind of stalls mm. out and like I was like this isn't really the point of this show see I liked the stuff with the parents though because Alex was always telling me that like oh in the comics they're just bad they're just out, outright super villains and you don't really it get does, any explanation like, I kind of like humanize this. them I like that yeah. some of them have their reasons and some of them don't and like there's a lot of varying degrees of like how evil they are I thought that was good yeah, it does humanize them, and I'm not surprised because the creators who did the show did, like, Gossip Girl and mm. The O.C., and they those shows always had this balance between the stories with the teens and, and the, the stories parents. with the parents. Yeah. And so, like, I'm not surprised that they went that way, but... And, and I didn't mind all of it. Like, some of it was interesting. Like, oh, they did have motivations, and, and they're really careful to kind of show that, like, none of them really like killing people, mm-hmm. but, like, it, it doesn't track with the comics, but also the comics aren't really about them. So yeah. it's like, I don't know. I 
it's not like my favorite comic I ever read, but it was entertaining. And I was just like, I think I'm going to have to like go back and read a couple of them and remind myself like, what was this really about? Mm-hmm. But I do like James yeah. Mercer's is just pretty much bad guy though. He is. He get, he's it, the it most, was actually really interesting because area. we've been watching yeah. <laughs> Buffy and then I was watching this and I was like, okay. It's kind of hard like, to make that he switch. He just looks but so different. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to make that like, switch cognitive, but like not because it, it's not that hard because he's really good at it. I was like, yeah, I love watching you is what I'm, I'm just saying I like James Marsters. I've said well, that I a thousand times, but an AV club review of one of the episodes and it's like the one after like Victor gets like shot mm-hmm. and then like put in a box and they were like, great. They like locked up their most charismatic yeah. actor. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, yeah, they kind of did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, though, it's like totally enjoyable yeah. to just kind of watch and, you know, exactly. Um, I'll probably watch the second season. Yeah. I think there's only two. I'm pretty so. sure there are two also. Yeah. Anyway. Um, all right. Well, we Whew. should wrap up. We should. It's, we talked a long time about Buffy. I know. Well. Wow. I didn't even. Maybe a little bit about hair color and um, movie trailers and stuff. Right. Too, but yeah. Sorry. We got a little right. off topic. Yeah, okay. That's all right. Um, all right. Well, what team are you uh, on? Uh... I think I know. I guess, I don't know, I guess Team Buffy. I mean, she yeah, that that's what I was going to say. Because, like, she really, like, did what she needed to yeah. do in this episode. So. Okay. Yeah. Agreed. And it's not going to be anybody an angel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 Everyone behaved badly in that episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Team Buffy. Um, okay, well, we'll be back next time with... Um, potential. Potential and... Calvary. The Calvary, so... And we'll, we'll talk then. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have. And find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.